0: This is the 101st, and as far as I can tell, the last episode from Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. The 100th episode was the penultimate of the podcast series. This is the finale. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking, how do you write the last episode of anything? In Breaking Bad's last episode, Walter White meets his inevitable fate. In The Sopranos, in the last episode, they leave you hanging with the possibility that the family's going to be hit in that diner. In MASH, it was a sweet goodbye where Hawkeye just goes home. In Friday Night Lights, where there were just too many tie-it-in-the-bone moments to mention, it was one of the greatest last episodes of any series. And in Seinfeld, where of course it ends with nothing, just as it started. So with all that in mind, the finale will be slathered with observation and self-reflection. First, the self-reflection. Why did I do it and what did I learn from it? In March 2020, the world shut down. It was a page out of The Walking Dead. People were masked up and scared. Scared to touch things and walk within spitting distance of anyone else. Suspicious looks and self-deputized mask mask beliefs stared you down whenever you dropped your mask just to breathe particularly in Southern California, where I think people are still double masking in their cars. I happened to be working part-time at a local golf course in Charleston where none of that was happening. It was like an oasis from the pandemic, like there was a protective dome over the course. People from Charleston found golf to be their escape from COVID prison, and they came in droves. After five months of life shutting down, I couldn't help but observe human behavior under a microscope at the first tee at Charleston National. So many stories, political polarization, and more people getting the COVID bug and the golf bug at the same time. I thought about writing a book, but by the time it got completed and published, I was afraid that COVID and and the golf bug would be a thing of the past. So I let my fingers do the walking and in a few Amazon deliveries later, I had enough equipment to start a podcast. A hundred episodes later, I look back and reflect on all the time and energy well spent during a crisis. So here are some of my takeaways. Golf is not something that you master. It's something that you play. The perfect golf swing is an illusion that sometimes finds its way into your mind, body, and hands for a short while. Overthinking is in the mind of the beholder Sometimes it functions to consider and eliminate the variables and sometimes it interrupts the flow of a perfect swing. The only thing is that the overthinker doesn't know the difference until they do. Friendships from golf have angles and nuances. I've seen what appear to be best friends out for a Sunday walk on the links turn into ghosting and aisle diving. Now, aisle diving, that was a term that an old friend of mine shared with me. When she was at the grocery store and spotted a golf acquaintance that they got sideways with, she would figuratively dive into the next aisle to avoid any interaction at all. Now, this happens more than you think. I've witnessed more golf buddies become lifelong adversaries than I would have ever imagined before I took up the sport. What starts off as shits and giggles, followed by drinks and dinners, mutual vacations, even co-ownership of second homes, turns sideways into schedule conflicts, ghosting, and the sale of said ownership, all because Buffy was a bitch on the golf course and Reginald cheated like Patrick B. Golf can be a selfish endeavor where the laws of etiquette are laced in to keep golfers from becoming swordsmen. Golf etiquette is the constitution that some golfers totally ignore because their quest to score or win a bet outweighs the fact that other people on the course are trying to do the same. As I was doing more and more podcasts, I learned that everybody has a story worth hearing. And the golfer I call the Tin Man has more than his allotted share of them. But that doesn't stop me from engaging him in a conversation, sometimes just for the sport of it. Thanks to Tiger Woods, golf is less exclusionary despite the fact that most private clubs are welcoming of high income and some are even conciliatory to outlier religions, race, and geography. Most golfers tolerate being given pseudonames and being poked fun at. Pseudonames allow me to hyperbolize their behavior without a direct finger pointed in their direction. Animated cartoons like Family Guy, The Simpsons, and South Park do it brilliantly with little fear of litigation. I've also learned that it's okay to take a hard position as long as you can defend it with good reasoning. For me, good reasoning is something that I can defend until somebody points out how little I know about the facts. Well... Then I just I'll dive, ghost them, and sell the vacation home. And most obvious to me is that people like that one word that marketers use until their fingers break the keyboards, and that word is free. I mean, the word free that's even better than BOGO, it's certainly better than buy one, get the second one half price. Did you know that's only a 25% discount and nothing more? This labor of love from Tales from the First Tee has been free to anybody willing to click and listen. I am certain that has a lot to do with its popularity in 52 countries and 975 cities worldwide. One of the great things with free is that it comes without outside editorial input or control, which means it just makes it easier to decide when to stop. I mean, those were just a few of my insights after I reflected and looked back as to what I learned about the sport, about doing a podcast, and about some of the great people that I got to do the podcast about. So here are my final observations about golf in the industry. I'll start off with the LIV Tour. It's good for the players' bank accounts. It's good for golf's international exposure. It's good for David Faraday and maybe Faldo and Barkley and me if they ever respond to my offer to be the exclusive podcaster for their league. It's bad for the PGA and their fearless commissioner Jay Monahan. So far, it's bad for the viewing public in the United States until a healthy TV contract follows. Not many people that I know of a certain age have even seen the events on YouTube. I mean, it's been compared to the XFL. Now, it's nothing like the XFL where players were obscure with names like He Hate Me, it's not like the XFL, where Vince McMahon paid off more concombines to stay quiet about their affairs than some of our past presidents. The Live Tour has promise. And as the Zen Master said, We shall see. We shall see. Golfball branding. Golfball branding is the greatest marketing magic wanding since Billy Mays did commercials for OxyClean. Did you know that my first day on the job working for the company that owned and manufactured OxyClean was Billy Mays' last day as a spokesperson for the brand? Word on the street is that he had an affinity for the white powder. Golf balls have certain characteristics that differentiate themselves from other golf balls. The cover, compression, and the number of layers. Titleist Callaway, Bridgestone, and some of the others have done a wonderful job of contracting with PGA Tour pros to play their balls to get better TV exposure. Titleist Pro V1 is the most popular ball on the market because they have protected it through player endorsements and high pricing to make us believe it will improve our games. If you want to know the real skinny behind golf balls, go to mygolfspy.com and learn how, you, how to spend less money on top-performing balls to fit your game. The big buzz on the street now is golf club fitting. All clubs and shafts are constructed differently. Both the club and the shaft are equally as important to help you consistently perform at your best. Technology in club manufacturing and testing has improved a thousand percent since I started the sport. Because of things like skeletal variety, flexibility, strength, injuries and more, we all swing the club differently. If you're in the market for new clubs because the ones you're currently swinging don't produce a hole-in-one, a few eagles, and a hat-trick of birdies each round, just go get fitted before you buy them. Music on the golf course. I have the luxury of selecting the genre and artist of my choice most of the time unless I'm driving with Tracy. Then it's the coffee house on Sirius XM because Bruce Springsteen and the Bruce Springsteen channel just seem to be driving songs that that seem to be yelling at her any song that he plays. And the Grateful Dead just seem to be off key every time she saunters into the passenger seat. We've landed on the coffee house to allow us to have our witty repartee on our way to our first watering hole. The golf course is a quiet place filled with the sounds of nature, if we're lucky. I don't mind music as a background accompaniment to the sport. I have to say, as a youthful boomer, some rap beats and heavy metal are counterproductive to my stoner swing but I could channel just about any music into any swing. My advice to any and all that listen to music on the golf course, if both speakers are playing different music in different genres, that stereo effect is probably tantamount to what Manuel Noriega had to listen to in his Panama Palace when the military stood outside for five straight days and blasted heavy metal and all different types of genres until he just gave up. I mean, too often we'll get to a tee box and one of the carts is playing Wet Ass Pussy and the other one is playing Sweet Child of Mine. Oh, Everybody should just decide when the carts get together, Which one is going to play the music? My advice is whoever seems to be the adult in the foursome, turn off your speaker and let the other one blast. It's that simple. Drinking and smoking weed on the golf course. Here's my take on it. Be my guest. By the way, yinling is my brand and sativa is my strain. Golf friendships. There is nothing in my mind like friendships that are formed and galvanized through golf. We have the same goals in mind. To play our best shot, shoot our lowest score, hit that impossible recovery shot, or long snaking putt when it counts. As long as you don't do it enough times to make your buddy feel like an ATM. I've developed more golf friendships since I started the podcast than any other time in my life. Now, granted, I was working 50 to 60 hours a week and traveled 30% of the time during my career in consumer products. Sure, I was raising a family and spent countless hours traveling to our kids' sporting and dance events, making a few golf buddies along the way while we're sitting in the stands and watching sugar plums dancing across the stage. This podcast has allowed me to meet like-minded golfers that want to see their buddies play their best, particularly when we're on the same team. Very cool. Very cool. And my last observation was that more people suffer from PTSD than I could have ever imagined. Not just ex-military, not just first responders, but just shit that life throws at you. I have a friend, Dan, that I met at the golf course several years ago. We did a three-part podcast together, and I happened to help him when he runs this annual Vet Fit Golf event in Charleston. Dan has suffered from PTSD and has dedicated his life to helping other vets stay alive. Did you know that over 30 vets and first responders commit suicide daily? That's an astounding figure. That's the result of how humans feel after time spent in the military or time spent facing distressing or frightful events. My friend Dan uses golf as a cathartic experience for vets with PTSD. I mean, how bad can a triple bogey feel when you compare it to some of the things these vets have had to face. It's a joke. It's just a four-letter word, golf, and it makes people feel good spending four to five hours in nature chasing a little white ball. Which leads me to my next venture. I was approached by a regional manager at Hero Golf, a nonprofit organization formed to help first responders and vets with PTSD. By developing these free golf leagues for them to play and compete in all year long, not only in the Low Country but around the rest of the United States, to help underwrite the cost of their free golf tournaments, Hero Golf fundraises by setting up a hold the green event at local cor- courses where the leagues take place. The donations come from golfers who are willing to risk twenty-five dollars per player in hopes of winning. $1,000 in the pro shop at the course that day that they're playing at. I mean, who doesn't need another tailor-made stealth driver and a Scotty Cameron putter or a year's supply of their favorite golf balls while wearing a Travis Matthew Nike Under Armour or Adidas shirt that they just won at that pro shop. So I would say this in my last words in the podcast, look for me on weekends at golf courses in the Lowcountry And I'll be glad to pass on your donation and write you a voucher for free stuff at the Pro Shop. All you have to do is show up, put up, and hold the grain. And as always, I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Stay chill, my friends.